Good morning again, everyone. I'd invite you, if you have a Bible or device, to turn to John chapter 14. And we'll be there in just a moment. There is so much trouble in our world, and there's so much uncertainty in our world. We're just hopefully coming out of this pandemic and all the issues that that's brought and all the uncertainty that's followed, things being canceled and what does tomorrow look like. And then now we're kind of transitioning into the situation in U Ukraine and, and uh, the conflict, the war there and trouble there and then uncertainty there, what's going to happen tomorrow when we hear about you know, nuclear war has even been mentioned and, and, you know, this thing escalating. And if that isn't enough, as we look at our world, when we look at our particular circumstances, uh, we find ourselves troubled at things too. Maybe you're troubled today uh, with a relationship that you have. Maybe you're troubled about a relationship you don't have. Maybe you're troubled about your job. Maybe you're troubled about your business. Maybe you're troubled about your health. Maybe you're troubled about a family member. Okay, before I go on, is everybody troubled? Okay, do I need to mention any more? Troubles everywhere, uncertainty everywhere. What's tomorrow going to hold? 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke to some, uh, to his disciples who were troubled. And there was a lot of uncertainty ahead for them. And that same Jesus wants to speak to you today. In John chapter 14, verse 1, he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. The word trouble has the idea full of fear, full of, or full of confusion, full of anxiety, possibly full of anger, and it also has this idea of uncertainty. You're troubled because of uncertainty. You're agitated or disturbed because you don't know what's going to happen next. The image that came to my mind uh, was we, uh, the odd time I've seen our washing machine, it shakes and rattles at certain times. Anybody else in your home? Maybe it's our, just our home. But it, it's just rattling. And maybe on the outside, we're pretty good at kind of keeping things, but on the inside, we're just, things are just not in place. And so Jesus says to you today, do not or stop your shaking. Stop your rattling. And it's good advice because we know uh, when uh, we're uncertain and that is just rattling us, it's not good for us. Um, uncertainty can cause stress. We, for the most part, most of us, we like routine and structure because it provides a sense of stability and normalcy. And when that structure or routine is upended or uprooted, uh, we feel uneasy, unsettled. So for example, you're hoping that your kids are going back to school, school's canceled, right? Your routine's upended and you're just unsettled. So uncertainty can cause stress. It can also cause sleeplessness. Our sleep habits uh, are affected. It can cause sadness. Research shows that when we are unsettled, uncertain, uncertain, we smile less, we worry more, we sleep less, our sadness increases and our happiness 
decreases. So when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, it's good for you to obey him. The question is, how? And he's going to share with us how we can go through life. And yes, there's going to be times when things hit us and we're rattled, but how we can recover and go through life without a troubled heart. And before we look at how we can do that, um, it, it, it'll be very helpful for us to understand the context. So if you back up to chapter 13, I'd like to talk about the context in which he's saying these words to his disciples. When you read the Bible, and you're reading in particular uh, one of the four accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you'll find uh, the four gospel writers that in describing the three years of Jesus, they're kind of like just going from one thing to another, but the last week of the life of Jesus, which we refer to as Passion Week, everything slows down into super slow Motion. And so in the book of John with 21 chapters, the first 12 chapters, John's just taking us through this journey uh, through Jesus' life. And then in chapter 12, he turns and he begins to talk to us about the last week of Jesus' life on the Sunday when he came into Jerusalem. And so where we pick up this conversation with Jesus and his disciples is uh, he is in the upper room with them hours before he would go to the cross. So it's Thursday evening. And in chapters 13 through 17, I encourage you to read it through in one sitting, but in chapters 13 through 17, he's celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, and he's sharing some final thoughts with them. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. And so let's pick up his conversation. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. John tells us when he, Judas, was gone. So Judas was eating the Passover supper with the other disciples. Jesus has washed Judas' feet as well. And Judas leaves the meal, goes out into the darkness of the city of Jerusalem to find the religious leaders. And it's going to trigger a number of events. Judas is going to go and alert uh, the religious leaders about Jesus. They're going to come and arrest Jesus. They're going to take him, and he's going to experience six trials, three Jewish, three Roman trials. Then he's going to be beaten and whipped, and then he will be nailed to a cross. So there's all of these things that are happening now that Judas is gone. But look what Jesus says, knowing what's going to happen in the future. He says, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God, speaking of the Father, will be glorified in him. What's Jesus talking about there? Jesus, you're going on the cross. How are you glorified in that? In the lower story, the cross is not good. It's brutal. It's a weapon to kill. It's violent. In the lower story, it's not good. But from cover to cover in Scripture, we're told there is a sovereign plan of God, the eternal plan of God, that's taking place. No one can thwart his plan. And in the eternal plan of God, that cross is going to be good. It's going to bring weight and beauty 
to the Son, and to the Father. Because we're going to be able to look at the cross and we're going to see the holiness of God, but we'll also see the love of God. We'll see the righteousness of God, but we'll also see the mercy of God. We'll see the justice of God, but we'll also see the grace of God. That's why we at Woodside, we don't glory in a cross, but we glory in Jesus who died on the cross for our sins so we can be made right with him. It will bring him glory. If you're wondering about God, you're here and you're just kind of trying to figure out what's he like, look at Jesus, and when you look at Jesus on a cross, you're getting the greatest demonstration of what God's like. He is a God who loves you. A crossless Christianity is a godless Christianity. And that's why we here at Woodside, we celebrate the cross, we sing about the cross, about the one who gave his life on the cross. But notice this, Jesus, when he talks about being glorified, he's putting his lower story, all the confusion, all the pain, all the suffering, he's putting it in the context of the upper story. It, I'm going to be glorified. The Father's going to be glorified. And that's a practice we'll get back to, but that's what we need to do is we journey through life. If we do not want a troubled heart, we've got to put the lower story in the context of the upper story because Jesus can relate to you. It wasn't like Jesus wasn't troubled. In fact, John tells us in John chapter 11 at the grave of Lazarus, this is just the week before Passion Week, Mary's at the grave, uh, at the tomb of his, her brother and she's crying and others are crying. And John tells us Jesus is troubled. In John chapter 12, knowing that his hour was soon to come and he was going to die on the cross, John tells us Jesus was troubled. In chapter 13, during the Passover meal, and uh, Jesus, uh, knowing that Judas was going to betray him, he was troubled. And then Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that a little later in the evening, when they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is troubled. So Jesus knows trouble. He knows what it's like. But yet he puts his lower story in the context of the upper story. And what is interesting is that the disciples, because they didn't know about the cross, that Jesus was going to go to the cross, they didn't get it, they weren't able to comfort Jesus and say, Jesus, take it for the team, do it for us. They had no clue what's going on. But Jesus, knowing that the end was near, begins to prepare his disciples for his departure, to comfort them. So we pick up in verses 33 through 35. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. That's a tender term, my children. He's talking to the disciples like a parent would talk to a child uh, before they left, right? Hey, mom's gone for just a little while. Okay, the babysitter's going to be here. Um, I'm going to come back. You'll see mommy again. Okay, so while I'm gone, don't hit your sibling, okay? Don't hit them. Don't, what do parents tell their kids nowadays? Don't run out in the street, I don't know, whatever. Don't do that, right? Final instructions. So Jesus is saying to them, my children, and then he's going to instruct them. Listen to what he says. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love 
one another. I'm going, but where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus is referring here to the cross. I'm going to the cross. I have to die alone for the sins of the world. You can't die with me. You cannot come. There's another sense in this upper room discourse where Jesus is going to go to heaven. So I'm leaving to go to the cross, and then I'm leaving to go to heaven. You can't come with me. And he says, in the meantime, while I'm gone, you love one another. You all have a relationship with me, and that means you have a relationship with one another because you all belong to me. And those disciples, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, would love one another to the end. And that's the call for any follower of Jesus today, that we love one another. Friends at Woodside, we're to pray for one another, encourage one another, accept one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, right? Love one another. This pandemic, when I look at the North American church, and I'm so grateful for Woodside, we're doing very well, a perfect no, but we're doing very well at still loving one another, but I look at the North American church, there's not a love, lot of love going on in, in a lot of places. It's criticize one another, belittle one another, pressure one another, corner one another, embarrass one another, shame one another. And the world looks at that. That's what belonging to Jesus looks like. Jesus said to his disciples, in a sense, when you were with me, people knew that you belonged to me because I'm walking in front of you. You're with me. But when I'm gone, I'm not with you, but they'll still know you belong to me because you love one another. Then he uh, continues on, but before he can continue on, Simon interrupts with a question. And in this uh, discourse here, we find Simon has a question, Thomas has a question, Philip has a question. Uh, so, and by the way, young people, questions are good in the Christian faith. Okay, but here we go, verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Okay, picture Simon Peter the disciple. He doesn't say, oh, Lord, what exactly did you mean by love one another? What if the love one another has just gone over his head? In his mind, he's just consumed with the fact that Jesus is telling them he's leaving them. Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter, where I'm going, you cannot follow now. You can't go to the cross with me. And a little later, a little while, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you will be able to travel the way of the cross. The way of cross is often suffering and death. You will travel that. But you can't go with me now. Peter, but I, I'm going to follow you. Peter, you can't go. In fact, Peter, before the rooster announces the dawn of a new day in just a few hours, you're going to disown me three times. Okay. The disciples at this meal, if you can picture them around the table, they're troubled and there's so much uncertainty. Imagine if you were one of those disciples. Three years earlier, 
Jesus had called you to follow him. And so you left your family, you left your career, and you followed this guy for three years. Not for a week, not for a month, for three years you followed him, believing that he was the Messiah that was promised, the one who would come and set things right, where there'd be justice. And so you left everything to follow him, and now he's saying to you, I'm leaving you. Wait a second. What? Their expectation of the Messiah was that the king would come and he would bring victory, he would bring the righteous rule of God, and in their minds that meant he would come to the throne in Jerusalem, they would start this movement that would push the Romans out of the land, and he would rule. That's why two of the disciples earlier are arguing about, can I sit on this side or that side? Jesus, when you come into power in Jerusalem... Uh, you can count on us. We're going to be there. And so they've got this mindset. They're going to be dealing with Rome pretty soon. And instead, Jesus is telling them, the movement's like, we're not going there. I'm leaving you. In addition to him leaving, one of the disciples is betraying Jesus. Another disciple is going to disown Jesus. And they have no idea what lays ahead. Sunday they come into Jerusalem, Hosanna to the king, the crowds, there's this fervor, here's the Messiah, Thursday night, it's all coming, crashing down. In fact, on Friday, their whole world, just a few hours, will stop. Anybody relate to the disciples? When you've got some plans and they don't happen the way you think they should happen, this is not supposed to be. Jesus says to him, verse one of chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You're full of fear, you're full of worry, you're full of confusion. I want you to be calm. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You, you believe in the Father, God, Believe in me. He's equating himself with the Father. He's speaking of his deity. The, the God you can't see, the one you believe in, I'm that God, and you can see me. Believe in me. And the word believe means to trust. It means to put your weight on. So Jesus is saying, in the midst of all that's going on, put your weight on me. Doesn't that sound a bit simplistic? Just trust Jesus. Uh, Jesus, um, okay, trust you, but could you put a little more money in my bank account? That'll help a lot. Or Jesus, you know what that relationship I'm struggling with? Uh, could you change that? And that'll help a lot. What? Just trust you. I was visiting with a senior just recently, and she has to use a walker now. Can't really go from here to there without a walker. Because that walker supports her, gives her strength in her weakness. Jesus is saying to you, in your weakness, let me be your walker. Lean on me. And so the question is, do you really believe it? Do you really believe that Jesus is enough? 
that I can keep trusting him. Yes, I'm concerned about what everything's going on in my life, and yes, I need to use wisdom, and, and with the situation, is there anything I can do? There needs to be that, but ultimately, I'm trusting Jesus. I've mentioned this before, uh, but in my life, there's been two uh, valleys, dark valleys, where uh, for months I was going through a period of darkness. And the first time I went through, I was a young, a young person, and um, I was raised in a Christian home, so I had a bit of truth uh, uh, of God's Word in, in me, um, and I really, I made it through that time. It was quite difficult. The second time, the second valley I went through, it was hard, but I knew, I knew that I could trust Jesus. So I can stand before you today and say, you know, years ago when I was young, I would say, I, I, I trust Jesus. I could say it. But today, I can say, I know that I trust Jesus. His praise will ever be on my lips as long as I have breath. Whatever happens in my life, my family's taken, everything's, I will still trust Jesus. That's what Jesus is calling you to, that you will trust him. And then he's going to talk to them about his identity. You've got to understand who I am, and you've got to understand that there's a sovereign plan going on, and I'm the one in control of it. So look at verses 2 and 3, a very warm, familiar passage of Scripture. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. My father's house, he's talking about heaven. He's going to talk about his father 20 or so times in this discourse. My father's house, heaven, in heaven, there's lots of rooms. When you read scripture, you find heaven described as a country at times, speaking of its vastness. You find heaven described as a city, speaking of its inhabitants. You find heaven described as a kingdom, speaking of its rule. You find heaven described as a paradise, speaking of its beauty. And you find heaven described as a house, speaking of family. In my father's house, there's family. There's many rooms. Uh, old King James Version, there's many, what? Come on now. Mansions, right? I got a mansion just over the hilltop. Okay. Not the best translation there. It's not speaking of extravagance. It's speaking of room. In the first century, um, they had a housing crisis too. Young people couldn't buy rooms, houses. You would add an addition, right? And then Grandma came, add an addition. Uncle came, add an addition. So in the houses, you always added to make room. That's the image there. Jesus is saying, in my father's house, in his family, there's lots of rooms. Uh, years ago, Audio Adrenaline, any of you familiar with that Christian group? Come on now. Well, a few of you, thank you, yes. Had two songs that I really liked that I used to turn up the music to. I kind of wished I had a, a guitar I could play bass to these songs. I played the accordion. That doesn't really go well with that. <laughs> but they had a song called Big House, or they have a song called Big House. And it's like, come and go with me to my father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. There's a big, big table with lots and lots to eat. And there's a big, big yard where you can play football, right? We're Canadians. Um, 
And, uh, but the theme of that song, what's not in that song, is Jesus. They, they need to rework it. Because the whole thing about heaven is, yes, you'll be there, there's room, but you'll be there with Jesus. Notice what he says, and if I go and prepare a place, a real place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus is what heaven is about. Are there going to be other things to do in heaven? Of course there are. A number of things we'll be doing and experiencing and learning. But he's at the center of it all. And any version that has heaven in it without Jesus being there or not being the center and the focus of everything is incorrect. Heaven is the abode of God and the abode of man together. We see God in the face of Jesus. We're with Jesus. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in the Father. Yes, trust in me who you can see because I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm coming back and I'm going to take you to myself. Are you living with that confidence as you uh, go forward, as you continue to age? Are you living with that? I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to be with him. I really, really believe it. A number of years ago, there were uh, a number of books that came out speaking uh, about uh, near-death experiences. Do you remember those? Quite a few. And one that came out was called uh, 90 Minutes in Heaven. Some of you may have read it. And it was about this man who uh, died in an accident, and they pronounced him dead. And, uh, and 90 minutes later, he came back to life. In his words, he came back from heaven to earth. And he describes in his book, you know, some of the things uh, that took place. And he says now, you know, now when I speak to people, what, you know, if they're in a hospital and they're wondering about heaven, he's like, now I can tell them, you know, it's real. And we have to be careful with someone's narrative like that. I'm not going to believe in heaven that it's real because someone says they've been there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure of, of, of that experience. My confidence in heaven is because Jesus said it. He declared it, and he's the truth. Anybody that writes a book, our experiences can support truth, but our experiences never dictate truth. We don't have our own truth. Truth is outside of us in a person. Do you have the confidence as you journey through life that you are going to be with Jesus? Jesus continues. Verse 4, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Again, this is, you're supposed to be on the throne in, Rome, in uh, Jerusalem. What, what's, where, where are you going? What? Thomas asked, really, like, how can we know? How do we get there? Don't miss that miracle. One of Jesus' disciples, male, asking for directions. Don't miss that. Okay. Verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas, to us today, to the whole world, I am the way to the Father. I am going to go the way of the cross. That's the way to the Father. I'm the truth. Again, truth is that which corresponds to reality. 
I'm the ultimate reality. Every single person in the world, it connects to me. I'm the ultimate reality for all people in all places at all times in human history. And then I am the life. I'm the source of life, the giver of life, life with God. And then he says this, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's very controversial uh, today. It was 2,000 years ago. It was very controversial then. What? We have to go through Jesus. We all need Jesus. And friends, at Woodside, uh, that's what we hold to. Uh, not arrogant. We are just echoing the words of the one who died on a cross and rose again the third day. So for us, the issue really isn't with Woodside. We're not arrogant in, in saying this. The issue really is with Jesus. He said it. We're simply reporting it, right? We're not inventing the news. We're simply reporting it. Somebody died and, and rose again the third day, 2,000 years ago, and here's what he said. For us at Woodside, I want to pause just for a moment. For us at Woodside to deny, uh, to, to say, no, Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. There's a number of ways. If we say that, we're denying the words of Jesus. If he rose from the dead, again, he either rose from the dead or he didn't. If he rose from the dead, it's all true, every single word. If he said there's no other way and we say, no, there's many ways, we're in a sense calling Jesus a liar. And secondly, if it really is the only way because he really rose from the dead, for me to say to somebody, Oh, he's not the only way when he really is. That's the most unloving thing I could say to somebody. The most loving thing I could say is, there's a God who loves you, and he's made a way to be with him. The shock of this claim that Jesus makes is not that he's the only way. And by the way, that's inclusive because it's everyone can come this way. But like any truth claim, it's exclusive as well. But when Jesus says this, it's not like, Oh, it's, it's, we got to go through Jesus. What's stunning about it is that there actually is a way to be with God forever and ever in a place we call the Father's house, heaven. Jesus is saying anything else is not the way. And that's when we look, I use the word religion um, in, in Scripture. It's got a positive sense, James chapter 1, but it's also got a negative sense in that religion is any system that teaches that we have the ability to save ourselves. Because Jesus says, no, you can't save yourself. You have to go through the way of the cross, through me. And then he continues to speak of his identity to help these disciples, trying to grasp where he's going and what's going on. Verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip is trying to make sense. He, he asked, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? How can you say, uh, yeah, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So Jesus says to those disciples, to Philip and as well to us, 
if you've seen me, you've seen God. You're looking at the face of God. If you hear me, you're hearing the words of God. If you see the works I'm doing, you're seeing the works of God. Philip, I am God in your midst. That's why I'm telling you all of these things, making all of these claims. And then he will go on to say in this discourse, he will share with them that he's leaving, and in the meantime, they're to love one another, and they're going to do works. And he says, you're going to even do greater works than me. Now, what did he mean by that? Oh, Jesus, ah, he turned the water into wine. He walked on water. I'm going to one-up him. I'm going to do something a little more spectacular. No, he meant for the disciples that they will do greater works in extent. They're going to take the good news to the nations. You're going to do great works. And when you go, pray in my name, and I will give it to you. As long as it aligns to, to the Father's decreed will, Keep praying as you go and as you're on mission. And, and we'll be talking about this next week, the work of the Holy Spirit. You're not going alone. You won't see me, but my spirit will come and indwell you and empower you. And then he says this uh, in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I can understand why you're shaking and you're rattled and you're confused, but in light of what I just told you, trust in me. Believe me. Trust me. Take your lower story and all you're going to face in the next few days, you're not going to understand what's going on. Take your lower story and put it in the context of the bigger story that at the end of your story, it's not the end. I will come again and take you to be with me. That's a promise. That's where you're going. Your future, whatever happens to you, is secure in me. So let's talk about ourselves today. Hope for the troubled heart. What does that look like? Well, if you've got trouble this morning or you're going to go into trouble in a few days or uh, that, like, how can you, how can you not have a troubled heart? Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Go to the one who is in control. Go to the one who loves you. Go to the one who is on the throne working out his sovereign plan and meet with him. Your two biggest allies in your battle with trouble and uncertainty and all those questions and the panic that might set in, your two biggest allies are scripture and prayer. Yes, when I'm troubled, music might work. Hey, I put on some music and it just kind of calms me. Or calling a friend or seeing uh, someone in your life group, or if a care support ministry, and sharing your stories. Uh, research shows that's a good thing, to bring it out. That can work. Uh, going for a walk, getting outside in nature, research shows that is so good for our moods. Uh, having a proper diet. Don't drink too much caffeine. Don't have too much sugar. Have the proper diet. That's going to affect your mood. But ultimately, it's a relationship that you have with Jesus. You read his word, he speaks to you, and then you pray it back.
Lord, I am so troubled. I am so fearful of this. I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen if this takes place. And you talk to him and you listen to him. If you're going to experience peace, it's going to take faith. And not just any old faith. Faith is only as good as its object. Faith in Jesus, the one who's promised to come back for you. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the word of God. You've got to get his words into you so that you can recite them back to you. You've got to learn to preach truth to yourself. Again, two roads right in our brains, in, our, in the battle for our minds. One is I can go down this pathway where I am so scared. Oh, no, this is the end of the world. What's going to happen? And just what if? And just you go down that. Or you can choose to go down another road, create another neural pathway in your brain, and the more you go down that pathway, the easier it gets. And you say, I feel like this, but I'm going to think these thoughts. I'm going to let Jesus speak to me. Do you have some go-to verses in Scripture, truth that you remind yourself again and again while you're going through a hard time, a difficult time? I've heard many truths that people have shared, oh, this verse meant so much to me. I want to just share just a few with you. Well, we obviously have this verse, let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In the Psalms, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Do you have truth that you're bringing to mind again and again? And it doesn't mean, as you have this new playlist in your mind, it doesn't mean that you're happy. We need to learn how to lament when we go through hard times. On your playlist, there needs to be, Lord, I am just grieving. This is so sad. But on your playlist, there needs to be Jesus and the truth of Jesus. If I go and prepare a place, I'm coming back. I'm going to take you. Jesus is saying to you, I got you. He's not going to tell you everything you're facing in the days ahead, but he says, at the end of your story, I've got you. The issue is not your future. It's secure. The issue is, will you trust me? Will you draw close to me? I'm going to invite you to take a moment now and let's respond to God. I invite you to bow your heads and just as we respond, I'm going to ask you to picture yourself around that table with Jesus. And Jesus is saying to you, I'm going to take you home. Take my hand. 
trust me. Today, would you say that to him? Jesus, I'm going to trust you with this. Whatever it is in your life you're really troubled about, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to ask you to work on my circumstances, Lord. But Lord, I want to draw closer to you.